Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to all our brothers and sisters who have joined us in church this morning for worship of our Triune God. We also extend a special welcome to all visitors who have joined us this morning here in church and to those who are with us remotely via the live stream. This morning we have the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper. May we all be comforted and encouraged through this sacrament and by the preaching of the gospel. May God be praised and glorified by our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. Brother David Bollas and Sister Shimon Spiker from the Free Reformed Church of Darling Downs have indicated their intentions to enter into the married state according to the ordinance of God. They desire to begin this holy state in the name of the Lord and complete it to his glory. If no lawful objections are brought forward, this ceremony will take place, the Lord willing, on Saturday the 3rd of September at 12pm in the Free Reformed Church of Darling Downs with Reverend C. Vermeulen officiating. Sister Casey Klein and Brother Callan Decker from the Free Reformed Church of Mundajong have indicated their intentions to enter into the married state according to the ordinance of God. They desire to begin this holy state in the name of the Lord and complete it to his glory. If no lawful objections are brought forward, the ceremony will take place, the Lord willing, on Friday the 30th of September at 12.30 in the Free Reformed Church of Mundajong with Reverend D. Poppy officiating. Consistory with Deacons will meet tomorrow evening at 7.30pm. There will be a general congregation meeting on Monday the 22nd of August. Please see the note in your pigeonhole for more details. And this morning's worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy. Before we commence this worship service, let us sing together from Psalm 67 verse 1. Brothers and sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord.
As the people of God, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Receive the Lord's blessing. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise to our God. Let's sing together from Psalm 125, the verses 1 and 4. After God rescued his people out of Egypt, then he appeared to them at Mount Sinai, and he gave them his law in order to teach them how to live in relationship with him. Let's listen to the words of this law as it comes to us this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers against the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So when we hear these things that we are convicted of our sins, we're going to sing together from Psalm 25. In this psalm, we're going to make a confession of our sins, and we're also going to see, be assured again of the, the forgiveness of sins. And later in the service, you're going to be invited to come to the Lord's Supper to also be reminded of the forgiveness of sins through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let's first sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 25, the verses 5 and 7.
Let's now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we, we humble ourselves before you. You are the Almighty God. You are seated on the throne in heaven with power, with authority, with glory, with honor. You have dominion over all things. Your rule extends over, over heaven and earth, over every living creature, over every human being. Father in heaven, you are the one who, who called this world into existence. You're the one who rules over it. And yet we are able to come into your presence. And we are able to speak to you. But we are not like you. We are people. We are feeble. We're like, like dust on the scales in comparison with your glory and with your power. But when we stand before you, then we also do so with empty hands. Because we are sinners. You're a holy God. There's no evil in you. You're never tempted by evil. You never commit sin. Yet we are sinners. We're naturally inclined to commit sin. This past week, this past month, we've committed many sins against you. And so we humble ourselves before you this morning, Lord, and we confess those sins. We ask you for your grace and forgiveness. Lord, please show mercy to us. Please forgive us for the times where we've not honored you, where we treat you lightly, where we think little of you. Forgive us for the times where we trust in ourselves, where we seek to accomplish things in our own strength, where we deny your power, your presence, and your blessing. Forgive us, Lord, for the times where, where we know what you call us to do. You call us to trust in you and to love you, to fear you and to serve you, to adore you and to worship you. And yet so often, we end up following our own inclinations and the idols of our hearts. And so, Lord, we, we confess our sin to you this morning, and we plead with you that for Jesus' sake you would forgive us. We've also sinned against the people around us, as husbands and wives, as parents and children, as workers, as co-workers, as parents, or as teachers and students, in so many relationships and in so many ways, we, we have sinned against you. We stand before you with empty hands and we confess that to you again. Forgive us, Lord, for the words of our mouths. So often we've said things that are displeasing to you, things that are not true, things where we twist, twist the truth to our own ends. Forgive us for the gossip and slander we've spoken. Please forgive us for the anger that we bear in our hearts. Sometimes we get really upset with other people and we hold it against them. Please forgive us, Lord, for the time where, where we are greedy and covetous, where we look around us at other people and we want what they have and we're discontent with the position in life that you put us. Please forgive us for our lust, for adultery, the times where in our hearts we desire what you have forbidden, the ways in which we've sinned against you in that regard. Forgive us, Lord, for all the sins that we have committed. We stand before you and we plead with you that for Jesus' sake that you look on us in mercy and that you show us your grace. We thank you, Lord, that, that we may know you to be a God who is willing to forgive. When we are honest and when we confess our sins, when we humble ourselves before you, when we tremble before your word, that you're a God who listens to us. For Jesus' sake, you're willing to take away all our sins and to remove the guilt of sin. And that is our hope, Lord. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. Now, Lord, we, we thank you that you also promised to renew us. You promised to give us your spirit to make us into new people, to flee from sin and to do what's holy in your sight. 
We want to pray for the renewing work of your spirit. Bless us through the preaching this morning. Grant that when we hear your word, that we can be encouraged, that we understand what it looks like to live in fellowship with you, that we may fear your name, that we give you the glory that you're due. Please also bless us, Father, in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, whether we participate or whether we, we watch it from the pew. Please grant that we may be encouraged in our faith, that we believe the promises that you've extended to us, and that by these means of grace, that we may draw near to you, and that you may show your love and remind us of that love. Father, please hear us and please grant us our requests. We, we humbly ask these things, Lord, not because we deserve it, but we, we ask it for Jesus' sake. Thank you for listening to us. In his name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the text for this morning is taken from Deuteronomy 6. In this chapter, we are told about how parents are instructed to teach their children to fear the Lord. And in connection with that, I'd like to read just a few verses from a chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're going to read together Deuteronomy 4, the verses 1 through 14. So you can find that on page 175 of your guest Bible. Deuteronomy 4, we're going to read the first 14 verses. There God's word says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the light of in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near, and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. It was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two, 
two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. So far the reading of God's word. Let's now sing together from Psalm 119, verse 24. sermon for this morning is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 6 verse 2. It's part of the chapter we read together last week. I preached on Ephesians 6, the verses 1 to 4. Their parents, or children are called to obey their parents, and parents are called to train up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We read together from these verses, and I'd just like to focus on verse 2 with you. Maybe we'll, we'll read that in context We'll read the first three verses there. There God's word says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land that you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, And be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus, last week Sunday I had this opportunity to preach to you from the first verses of Ephesians 6, and at the time I also read from Deuteronomy 6, the Lord tells us, he gave his commandments, statutes, and rules so that we might learn to fear him, and also to teach our children to fear him. And something the Lord gets back to a little later, Deuteronomy 6 verse 10, 
He says again, you shall fear the Lord your God. Now you read that over and you can wonder to yourself, well, what does that mean? Does God want us to be afraid of him? Is he telling us that, that he wishes us to, to live in such a way that, that we live in, in fear of who he is and, and what he's done? What's well, interesting, this word for fear, it's one of the most common words in the Old Testament. There's a bunch of different nuances that this word has, and, and the most common way the word is indeed used is in the sense of being afraid. And that's also part of the sense of the word here in this text. When God appears, it often happens that people are afraid of him. Now here in this passage in Deuteronomy 6, Moses reminded, or Deuteronomy 4 here, Moses reminded the people of the time when the Lord came down on Mount Sinai. And it was, it was an incredible experience. First God came to Moses and he said, whatever happens, Moses, you're not allowed to come on the mountain and none of the people are allowed to touch the mountain. And he actually told Moses three times, make sure that nobody touches the mountain because if you do, you're going to die. And then the Lord comes down on the mountain and then it talks about this this great smoke, this deep darkness. Deuteronomy 4 verse 9, it, we just read the passage together there. In verse 9 there it says, oh, sorry, verse 11, And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. And it was back in Exodus 18 where we actually read the story of what actually happened there. It says, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. It was almost like an earthquake. The mountain was shaking. You have this huge fire that descends. Elsewhere it talks about thunder and lightning. And then it talks about this, this smoke that ascends from the mountain as the Lord appears to his people. Well, the reaction of the people at the time, Deuteronomy 20, verse 18, is that the people were terrified. They thought they were going to die. And so they pleaded with Moses. They say, Moses, you talk to us. Don't let the Lord talk to us. Because if the Lord talks to us, we're all going to die. And so they had this real sense of fear coming into the presence of God. Now, when the Lord appeared at Mount Sinai, it wasn't in judgment. It was actually an act of grace. The Lord wanted to reveal himself to his people because he wanted to show them who he was. And he wanted to instill in their hearts a real sense of fear for his name. But you know, there are other times where the Lord appears to his people in order to terrify them. And he talks about that quite often in his word. I'll just use one example. If you, if you think of the prophet Isaiah chapter 2, the Lord rebukes his people. They filled the land with silver and gold, with horses and chariots and idols. The Lord said he's going to act in judgment against them. Isaiah 2.19, the prophet tells us what's going to happen when God comes in judgment. And the people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. There are times when God reveals himself. 
And it's a terrifying experience for those who are in sin. If you don't believe in God, if you reject Him, if you rebel against Him, then His presence is the most terrifying thing in the world. The point is that the God who rules on the throne in heaven is awesome and majestic. He's holy. He's powerful. He holds heaven and earth in His hands. He's not this doting grandfather that gives everybody whatever they want. He's not this impotent God that when people sin against him and rebel against him, that he's incapable of exercising judgment against them. No, he is the almighty God. He is holy. He's powerful. He's majestic. He often doesn't act in anger. He restrains his anger because he's patient, because he doesn't want people to perish, but he, comes, he wants people to come to repentance. But there will come a time when he acts in judgment. And when he appears in judgment, it's the most terrifying thing that ever happens. What well, is your job, fathers, to instill in your children a sense of the holiness of the Lord? And part of the way you do that is that you need to impress on your children the great deeds of the Lord that he has done in his history of his dealings with his people. They have to know that the Lord is gracious and compassionate for all those who flee from sin. But he's also glorious and majestic. He will bring down a terrible judgment on all those who refuse to repent before him. You know, our children have the same natural inclination that we do, brothers and sisters. They're sinners. And they treat the Lord lightly. You do devotions in the evening, you read this passage, a stunning passage about the, the power, the grace, the holiness of God. Your children, they read it with you, and the minute they're done, they slam the Bible shut, they put it away. The sense is, yeah, the Lord is great. Can't wait till we're done. I want to do some indoor soccer. Can't wait to message my friends. And life carries on. The Lord is holy. Ho hum. When are we done? How can I carry on with normal life? That's the sense of who we are. That's our natural inclination. And that it's the responsibility of fathers to impress on their children who the Lord really is and what the Lord has really done for them. But you know, it doesn't mean that you need to, to leave your children with a sense of abject fear about the presence of God. The only people who need to be terrified of God are those who live in sin and those who refuse to repent. The other aspect of fearing the Lord is holding him in awe and having great respect for his majesty. This really curious statement that Moses gives just after the Lord appears in Sinai, that Moses is explaining it to the people. He says in Exodus 20, verse 20, he tells the Israelites, do not fear. For God has come to test you that the fear of him may go before you, that you may not sin. Use it in two ways. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of him, that awe for him, respect for him, that you stand amazed at his, his majesty and power, that they, that may go with you and that you may not sin against him. And so the, the word fear 
at core it has the sense of seeing God's glorious majesty and standing in awe of him. It's often used that way in the scriptures. You think of Psalm 33, verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. I'll use one other example. You have Levi. When the Israelites sinned in Numbers 25, they slept together with the Moabites. They were told that Levi was jealous for God's anger. He saw this leader of the people that led this Moabite woman in the midst of the people, right through the middle of the whole company of everybody, into his tent, and he was going to go sleep with this Moabite woman. And Levi was incensed because of the glory of the Lord. He was really upset with this. And so he took a spear, and he went into the tent, and he killed both of them. And it's quite striking. In Malachi, the prophet reflects on that event, and he talks about the special place that Levi received because of what he did. Malachi 2, verse 5, it says, says of Levi, God says, My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Well, here you have an example of a man who fears the Lord. And he sees this blatant sin happening right in front of him. And he says, forget it. That's not on. That's not happening. We have to fear the Lord. We have to show awe and respect for his majesty and for his glory. Well, this is the calling, fathers and mothers. You need to impress on your children a great sense of awe for the glory and majesty of the Lord. When you raise your family, when you do devotions, you need to, to lead them in a sense that they know the Lord, that they realize his power, and that they stand in awe of his holiness. The question becomes, how do you actually do that? What does a father need to do? You could think to yourself, if only the Lord would appear to us, you know, then it'd be easy. If we had a Mount Sinai experience, if God came down, then, then all our children would fear the Lord. But you know, God's not in the habit of appearing to us. And the reason for that is because he tells us, I've appeared many times in the past and I've written it down. And so your job as, as parents is to tell your children about the great things that I've done in the past. You need to open the word. You need to read the scriptures. You need to impress these things on your children. And then one of the, the core ways that he, that he tells us to do that is that he also says that you need to impress upon your children the laws of the Lord. It's really through his laws that the Lord teaches his people to fear his name. If you, if you think, for example, the passage we read together from Deuteronomy 4, the verses 9 to 10, it says there, only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on earth, and they may teach their children also. And then he goes on and he talks about impressing the commandments on the children. And that's the core thought of our text. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1 and 2. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, 
that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his commandments and statutes which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Tell them about the great things of the Lord, and tell them about the commandments, the statutes, the ordinances, the laws of the Lord. That's how you, you teach your children to fear the Lord. If you read through the Bible, you see these, the commandments and the fear of God, they're, they're very often connected. I'll just use a couple of examples, some well-known ones. Psalm 128, we sang from it, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Or Psalm 103, 17, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. And so there's a strong calling between obeying God's commands and fearing the Lord. And you know that ties into the last nuance of fearing the Lord. At core, if you fear the Lord, it means that you believe him, that you trust him. It means that you serve him and adore him and worship him. There are many places in the scriptures where fearing the Lord is equated with living to God's honor and to God's glory. What is our calling as parents to often show our children how great the Lord is so that they grow up with a sense of the majesty and glory of God and that they fear him for the rest of their lives. So fathers and mothers, how are you doing at teaching your children to fear the Lord? Are you doing what you can to ensure that God is big in their thinking? God's holiness, his majesty, his glory, his honor is something that is a huge part of their lives, of their thinking. Now, if you reflect on it, when the church goes astray, then often what stands at the core of it is that people don't fear the Lord. God gets smaller and smaller and smaller in people's thinking. And over time, God is, he's there, but he's not a big part of people's thinking. They don't fear him. They don't stand in awe of him. They don't respect his majesty and his glory. And that's our inclination. That's who we are by nature. And if we're not careful, then that's also what happens to our children. They grow up in that environment where God is pretty small in their thinking as well. And then over time, then that gets reflected in, in a whole bunch of different ways in a person's life and in a church life. And so this is one of the, the core things that the Lord lays on our hearts as his people. He says, a central aspect of being my children is that you fear me that you revere me, that you hold me in awe, that you give me the respect that I'm due. And we need help in that. It's not our nature. But we have a Savior. It's very striking. When the Lord Jesus Christ came, and this is one of the core aspects of who Christ is. You have the prophecy in Isaiah 11, 
It talks about a root coming from the shoot, no, a shoot coming from the root of Jesse. And it talks about this shoot, and it talks about him receiving the Spirit. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Well, that was Christ's life. When he came, he delighted in the fear of God. He held his father in the highest regard. He revered him. And he taught the people not to be taught by rules of men, but to revere the Lord, to hold the Lord in high regard, to show him the honor and the glory and the majesty that he's due. And so he promises to help us. He, when he calls us to this, when he says you need to teach this to your children, that he doesn't leave us on your own. But he says, when you look to me in faith, he says, I will give you my spirit. I'll pour it out from you, on you. And it's through the spirit that you will be able to teach your children to know the Lord, to love him, and to fear him. And you know, if you fear the Lord, it leads to the best life ever. It is those who fear the Lord they get to draw near to the Lord. The Lord reveals himself to them. This is the one who I esteem. This is the high and lofty one, the Lord. He says, who is it? It's those who are humble and contrite and those who tremble at my word. Well, God works that spirit in us. He humbles us. He makes us contrite about our sins. He leads us to to tremble before him and before his word. And as we do so, then he dwells with us. He takes us into his presence and he reveals his nature, his character, his being to us. And the greatest way it's going to happen is at the end of time. And God is going to re reveal himself again. We're going to see him face to face. And for all those who live in sin, it's going to be the most terrifying day of their lives. Revelation picks up on this, this prophecy from Isaiah 2. And it says that, that all the sinners, they're going to flee for their lives. They're going to try to find caves and holes in the ground where they get away from the, from the holiness of the Lord. They're going to be filled with terror because of the majesty of his name. But for all those who believe in the Lord, when God appears, it's going to be the best day of their lives. And God says, I will be their father, and you will be my sons and daughters, and I will dwell with them. And he will live face to face where we see him and where we know him. Well, this morning, you who fear the Lord, you are given an opportunity to have a foretaste of that. You're invited to come forward and to celebrate the Lord's Supper. You may have fellowship with your God. As you fear him, then he says, come to me and sit at table with me and have fellowship with me as a foretaste of what's yet coming. Amen. Well, let's sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 34, the verses 3 and 4.
We now have the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. In preparation for that, let's first read together the form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. It explains what the Lord's Supper is, how it functions, and what the Lord intends to do with us through that. If you want to follow along, you can, you can find it on page 603 of your book of praise. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Supper has been instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of this institution as described by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, the verses 23 to 29. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, therefore. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. In order that we may now celebrate this Holy Supper of the Lord to our comfort, we must first rightly examine ourselves. Further, we must use it as Christ intended it, namely to his remembrance. True self-examination consists of the following three parts. First, let everyone consider his sins and accursedness so that he, detesting himself, may humble himself before God. For the wrath of God against sin is so great that he could not leave it unpunished, but has punished it in his beloved son, Jesus Christ, by the bitter and shameful death on the cross. Second, let everyone search his heart, whether he also believes the sure promise of God, that all his sins are forgiven him only for the sake of the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, and that the perfect righteousness of Christ is freely given him as his own, as if he himself had fulfilled all righteousness. Third, let everyone examine his conscience, whether it is his sincere desire to show true thankfulness to God with his entire life, and laying aside all enmity, hatred, and envy to live with his neighbor in true love and unity. God will certainly receive in grace all who are thus minded, and count them worthy to partake of the supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who do not feel this testimony in their hearts eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Therefore, according to the command of Christ, of the Apostle Paul, we admonish all those who know themselves to be guilty of the following offensive sins to abstain from the table of the Lord. And we declare to them that they have no part in the kingdom of Christ. All who refuse to trust in the Lord alone, or who serve him in their own manner. All who abuse the name of the Lord by cursing, or in any other way, all who do not diligently attend the worship services, and who despise the proclamation of God's word or the sanctity of the sacraments, all who are disobedient to their parents or to others in authority over them, all who violate human life or cherish hatred against their neighbor and refuse to be reconciled to him, all who either within or outside of holy wedlock do not keep their bodies pure, 
All who by stealing, greed, or extravagance lead a worldly life. All liars, backbiters, and slanderers. Briefly, all who either in word or conduct show themselves to be unbelieving by leading an offensive life. While they persist in their sins, they shall not take of this food which Christ has ordained only for his believers. Otherwise, their judgment and condemnation will be the heavier. But all this, beloved brothers and sisters, is not meant to discourage broken and contrite hearts, as if only those who are without sin may attend the table of the Lord. For we do not come to this supper to declare that we are perfect and righteous in ourselves. On the contrary, we seek our life outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we acknowledge that we are dead in ourselves. We also are aware of our many sins and shortcomings. We do not have perfect faith, and we do not serve God with such zeal as he requires. Daily, we have to contend with the weakness of our faith and the evil desires of our flesh. Yet by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we are heartily sorry for these shortcomings, a desire to fight against our unbelief, and to live according to all the commandments of God. Therefore, we may be fully assured that no sin or weakness, which still remains in us against our will, can prevent us from being received by God in grace and from being made worthy partakers of this heavenly food and drink. Let's now consider for what purpose the Lord has instituted his supper, namely that we should use it in remembrance of him. We are to remember him in the following manner. First of all, let's fully trust that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent by the Father into this world according to the promises made from the beginning to the fathers in the Old Testament, and that he assumed our flesh and blood. From the beginning of his incarnation to the end of his life on earth, he bore for us the wrath of God, under which we should have perished eternally. By his perfect obedience, he has for us fulfilled all the righteousness of God's law. We remember in particular that the weight of the wrath of God caused by our sins pressed out of him sweat like drops of blood falling on the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane. There he was bound that he might free us from our sins. He suffered countless insults that we might never be put to shame. Though innocent, he was condemned to death that we might be acquitted at the judgment seat of God. He even let his blessed body be nailed to the cross that he might cancel the bond which stood against us because of our sins. By all this, he has taken our curse upon himself that he might fill us with his blessing. On the cross, he humbled himself in body and soul to the very deepest shame and anguish of hell. That he called out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That we might be accepted by God and nevermore be forsaken by him. Finally, by his death and the shedding of his blood, he confirmed the new and eternal testament, the covenant of grace, when he said, it is finished. In order that we might firmly believe that we belong to this covenant of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, during his last Passover, instituted the Holy Supper. He gave the bread and the cup to his disciples in remembrance of him. He taught us to understand that as often as we eat this bread and drink from this cup, we are reminded and assured of his hearty love and faithfulness towards us. It is a sure pledge that he has given his body and shed his blood for us. Otherwise, we would have suffered eternal death. 
He nourishes and refreshes our hungry and thirsty souls with his crucified body and shed blood to everlasting life, as certainly as this bread is broken before our eyes and this cup is given to us and we eat and drink in remembrance of him. From this institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we learn that he directs our faith and trust to his perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross. It is the only ground of our salvation. Thereby he has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true food and drink of life eternal. For by his death, he has removed the cause of our eternal hunger and misery, which is sin, and obtained for us the life-giving spirit. By this spirit, who dwells in Christ as the head and us as his members, we have true communion with him, and we share in all his riches, life eternal, righteousness, and glory. By the same spirit, we are also united in true brotherly love as members of one body. The Apostle Paul says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. As one bread is baked out of many grains, and one wine is pressed out of many grapes, so we all, incorporated in Christ by faith, are together one body. For the sake of Christ, who so exceedingly loved us first, we shall now love one another, and shall show this to one another, not just in words, but also in deeds. Finally, Christ has commanded us to celebrate the Holy Supper until he comes. We receive at his table a foretaste of the abundant joy which he has promised, and look forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb, when he will drink the wine new with us in the kingdom of his Father. Let us rejoice and give him the glory, for the marriage feast of the Lamb is coming. May the almighty, heavenly God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ help us in this, through his Holy Spirit. Amen. To receive all this, let's now humble ourselves before God in prayer. Let's call upon him in true faith. Merciful God and Father, we thank you that in this supper we cherish the blessed memory of the bitter death of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. Work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that we may entrust ourselves more and more to your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant that our contrite hearts may be nourished with his true body and blood, yes, with him who is the only heavenly bread, that we may not live in our sins, but Christ in us and we in him. Let us so truly be partakers of the new and everlasting testament, the covenant of grace, that we do not doubt that you will forever be our gracious Father, nevermore imputing to us our sins, but providing us with all things for body and soul as your dear children and heirs. Grant us your grace, Father, that we may take up our cross joyfully, deny ourselves, and confess our Savior. Let us in all tribulation await our Lord Jesus Christ, who will come from heaven to change our mortal body to be like his glorious body and to take us to himself forever. Hear us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're invited to come forward to the table as those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Well, before we do so, let's first make a profession of our faith. We're invited to rise. And we're going to Use the words of the Apostles' Creed as a set to music in hymn one.
Brothers and sisters, in order that we may now be nourished with Christ, the true heavenly bread, we must not cling with our hearts to the outward symbols of bread and wine. We must live our hearts on high in heaven where Christ our advocate is at the right hand of his heavenly Father. Let's not doubt that we'll be nourished and refreshed in our souls through the working of the Holy Spirit as truly as we receive this holy bread and drink in remembrance of Christ. And in preparation for the table, we're going to, or while the table is being prepared, we're going to sing together from hymn 59, the verses 1 and 2. Then after that, we invite all the communicant members of our congregation to come forward to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And for, for the other guests who are with us this morning, we're grateful that you can worship with us. But since we don't have supervision over you, we ask that you not attend the Lord's Supper at this time. May you nonetheless be encouraged and edified by the fellowship that you have with us in the worship of the Lord. So let's sing together hymn 59, the verses 1 and 2.
Brothers and sisters, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat from it, all of you. Remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take some bread and eat. The cup of blessing for which we give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink from it, all of you. Remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. So once again, please take some, some wine. The, uh, the middle circle has some grape juice in it for those who need it. At the table this morning, I'd like to read just a few passages with you from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has a lot to say about the fear of the Lord, and it also emphasizes many of the blessings that comes through it. So we're going to read together, first of all, just one verse, Proverbs 8, verse 13. In Proverbs 8, 13, there God's word says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So far, let's now sing together. We're going to sing from hymn 14. Hymn 14 is, is based on a passage of Habakkuk chapter 3. It's a passage in which the Lord comes down in judgment against his enemies. And it's deeply humbling also for the people of God. So we're going to sing together hymn 14. This time we're going to sing verse, verse 1.
Brothers and sisters, once again, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat from it, all of you. Remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take and eat. The cup of blessing for which we give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink from it, all of you. Remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out with complete forgiveness of all our sins. And please, take some. The next passage I'd like to read with you is taken from Proverbs 10, sorry, Proverbs 9, verse 10. In Proverbs 9, verse 10, there God's word says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Let's sing together. We're going to sing from hymn 14, verse 2.
Brothers and sisters, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat from it, all of you. Remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take some bread and eat it. The cup of blessing for which we have thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink from it all of you, remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please help yourself. Next verses I'd like to read with you to come from Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14, we're going to look at the verses 26 and 27. Proverbs 14, verse 26, there God's word says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will find a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn from the snares of death. So far. Let's sing together from hymn 14, verse 3.
One more time, brothers and sisters in Christ. The bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take some bread and eat. The cup of blessing for which we give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink from it all of you, remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take some wine and drink. The next passage I'd like to read with you is taken from Proverbs chapter 19. We're going to read together Proverbs 19, verse 23. There God's word says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from hymn 14, verse 6.
Beloved in the Lord, since the Lord has now nourished our souls at his table, let us together praise his holy name. Let everyone say with me in his heart, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger, and he's abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? But God chose his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved. Therefore my heart and my mouth shall proclaim the praise of the Lord from now on and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Merciful God and Father, we thank you that in your boundless mercy you've given us your only begotten Son as our mediator. We praise you, Father, that Christ is the sacrifice for our sins and our food and drink to life eternal. We thank you that you give us a true faith through which we may share in such great benefits. Through your Son, you've instituted the Holy Supper for the strengthening of our faith. We earnestly ask you, faithful God and Father, that by your Holy Spirit, this celebration may lead to our daily increase in true faith and in fellowship with Christ, your beloved Son. In his name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this morning you have the opportunity to give your thank offerings. The collection today is going to be for the mission work in Papua New Guinea. And after the collection, we're going to sing the doxology. We're going to sing hymn 8, verse 1.
Receive now the blessing of God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.